Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with James. Once every millennium something will come along. When you feel it you will know it cause it's coming on strong. That thing, that thing, that thing. Let me come inside your mind I promise you it won't take long The change will happen soon You will feel something so special Growing deep within you That thing That thing That thing With James That thing That thing Hi, welcome to episode 13 of That Thing with James J. Asher II. That's me! This is my very first annual April 20th episode. And I'm going to do something really cool right now. I'm going to scoot closer to the microphone. So maybe we can all get a better sound out of this thing. I've got my microphone on top of a, uh, a box, a tall box um, that contains a soda stream that has yet to be unpacked, uh, as well as two yoga blocks, two foam yoga blocks on top. Um, and I'm still having to like lean forward into the mic, but hopefully it's giving you a better sound and it's giving me more peace of mind by giving you better sound. Um, I do have a desk. The desk would, you know, if I scooted it over here, it would make me not have to lean forward like this to really get up to the mic. However, I, I, I've i got a lot of shit on my desk, and I don't feel like moving it right now. I've got a lot of shit on top of my desk, and i got a lot of shit under my desk. I'm talking about plugged-in shit. I've got a printer. I've got a, a, a really good... Um, kicker brand stereo thing um and uh, the 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 lcd screen has died on it and speaking of lcd let's talk about lsd specifically lsd 25 so today is april 20th um and a lot of people you know they call it 420 because in the whatever kind of calendar is do we use the gregorian calendar i don't know what kind of calendar we use here in the united states but uh in this calendar april is the fourth month out of the year and uh, the 20th is the 20th day of the month 420 420 for some reason i have no idea why is known as the weed number when i talk about weed i'm talking about cannabis um now, earlier today, I was at a fitting uh, for a, a gig I have um, later next week, because this is Saturday right now, so starting on Monday, I've got a gig, which I'll, I'll go in a little bit of detail about that here in a bit. Um, but 
I, I, I was saying something about today being the the weed number day. Oh, today's 420. It's the weed number. And um, a young lady said, uh, today's also bicycle day. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Um, bicycle day, in case you don't know, is when um, B, uh, BMX legend Matt Hoffman uh, discovered the... Um, the uh, the properties of, discovered what LSD can do. Discovered that it can make you trip out. Um, this was back in what, like 1938 or something. Matt Hoffman, um, you've probably seen him on the the Jackass movies, taking that huge ramp into the lake. Um, well, he was doing research into um, LSD, this type of uh, lysergic acid, um, and. If I remember correctly, he was looking for some kind of um, pharmaceutical, some kind of synthetic thing that could help with people's respiratory system. I think it could help with uh, asthma and things like that. And while LSD does indeed help with uh, breathing troubles, it helps people um, breathe more freely and fully, um, it, it does a lot of other stuff as well. And just just a little tiny bit of it does a whole lot, which is really amazing. This this chemical, uh, this just this little tiny thing does so much to to the to the human mind. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, this young lady said today's bicycle day, and you know I'm joking. I'm joking. Matt Hoffman is a very famous um, BMX biker. However, I think uh, the scientist's name was. Albert Hoffman. Let me look it up really quick because I looked this up and I discovered that 420, I was like, okay, it makes sense that 420, okay, if, if today's bicycle day, if today's the day that the, um, um, the effects that LSD have on a human being, um, or on other mammals, I imagine, um, if they were discovered on the 20th of April in whatever year it, it was discovered, um, the properties were discovered. Um, of course, you know, I, I, I could see it becoming the weed day. So I looked this up, um, and it was Albert Hoffman, who was a Swiss chemist in, uh, Basel, Switzerland. Um, let's see here. He first synthesized a, um, psychedelic drug or entheogen, um, if you're really nerdy about uh, these kinds of chemicals, they're, people generally refer to them as entheogens and entheogenics. Uh, they get kind of pissed off when you call them hallucinogens because they're not all hallucinogens, uh, from what I understand. Now, lysergic acid diethylamide is LSD, was first synthesized on November 16th, 1938, by the Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman in the Sandoz, now... Novartis Laboratories in Basel, Switzerland. It was not until five years later, on April 19, 1943, that the psychedelic properties were found. Uh, reference here is Wikipedia. I'm looking on Wikipedia for this information. Uh, so yeah, 1943 is when the uh, psychedelic properties were discovered. And uh, the thing is, the story goes that Mr. Albert or uh, Dr. Albert Hoffman, I, I'm not sure what his credentials were. Well, uh, Alfie um, got a little bit of this lysergic acid diethylamide on his hand. Just a little bit. Got a little bit on his hand, and he was like, oh, well. And he goes for a bike ride from the laboratory back home, 
and uh, he has um, during his, his bike ride he, he ends up having uh, one hell of a trip um, he described it from accounts that I've heard he described it as being very um, a benevolent um, loving happy bright trip uh, so yeah however this was on April 19th April 19th not April 20th so 420 it's all you you stoners out there, you hippies, you burnouts, you half-baked, pea-brain, cannabis users. I don't care if it's legal. You guys are sinners. And, um, and, and according to the federal government of the United States of America, uh, cannabis is still a, a Schedule One substance, which means it has a high potential for abuse and... Uh, no um, medical or no medicinal um, benefits, you know. So cannabis is, you know, it's just it's like crack and heroin and all sorts of stuff. It's illegal, folks. It's illegal, and uh, and I just want to be clear that I'm being entirely facetious right now. I'm serious. It is illegal. It's still a Schedule One substance. Um, according to uh, current federal, um, you know, filing or whatever categorizations, but everyone knows that's bullshit. I mean, there's sure there's still some brainwashed and or uh, mentally ill people or and or ill informed people who think that it's a dangerous um, plant, but it is it's, it's a plant. So, um, it's not to say you can just use it all willy nilly, um, cause it, it can exacerbate problems, especially if you have like, uh, it, it, different, everyone reacts differently to different chemicals and different chemicals react differently to every other different type of person. Um, so if you are kind of, you know, um, if you, if you have, panic attacks, if you're prone for anxiety attacks, um, really diving in deep and doing a fat fucking dab, it'll give you a fucking anxiety attack. Um, and if you eat too much of a really delicious brownie, it can give you fucking an existential downward spiral into hell. Um, feeling for, you know, a couple hours, maybe more, depending on who you are and your makeup. So like anything, I mean, you just have to be wise. You have to be smart about your usage, or if you you don't want to use it at all, that's fine, whatever. Um, But uh, a lot more people have died from drunk drivers than they have from stoned drivers. That's the usual go-to uh, fucking story. That's the usual go-to comparison, you know? So yeah, today's the weed day. Um, and, um, of course I don't use it because, um, you know, I have faith. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I'm a devout Catholic. Um, and I'm a law, I'm, I'm a law and order kind of guy. Um, I'm extremely capitalist. I'm I'm all about a free, unregulated market. 
uh, and a marketplace of ideas as well. Free marketplace of ideas, you know, freedom of speech. Anyone can say anything they want without any kind of repercussion. You know, that's that's the beauty of, um, oh Christ, my, my downstairs neighbor is running his fucking uh, wood stuff right now. So hopefully you're not hearing that in the background, but if you are... There's nothing I can really do about it, okay? The light, it's nice right now. I like the natural lighting. If you're watching this, whatever. Fuck it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a very devout law and order kind of guy. Um, um, I think um, libertarianism is the absolute best way to go. Uh, and again, I'm being entirely facetious. I think libertarianism is um, fucking stupid. Really fucking stupid and naive. Um, and it, it can be exploited and it can be easily exploited and it can easily be used to exploit other people. Um, so that, those are my opinions. Um, what are yours? Oh, wait, <laughs> sorry. I can't hear them. I'm a crazy person talking into a microphone alone in my apartment for who knows how long, how long has it been? Jesus Christ, it's only been almost been like 15 minutes or something now. I've been talking by myself. I, I just ramble by myself all the time. You know, I'm a fucking crazy person in here in my room um, talking about how I, I don't use cannabis because it is an, an illegal substance still um, on, on the federal register and it is still illegal in the state of Texas. Um, I believe that for certain glaucoma and... Um, uh, epilepsy, um, the people who suffer from glaucoma and epilepsy, I believe that they can use a certain amount of, of uh, medical marijuana in, in the state of Texas. I believe that it's legalized, although heavily, heavily, heavily um, regulated and monitored. Um, which is, it's fucking bizarre to me that Oklahoma legalized medical cannabis before texas did but at the same time it, it's not surprising because texas you know it's it's really diverse state and, and and it's still very much you know let's fucking kill some people they texas loves its uh corporal punishment it's um oh what's the word where where they fucking kill you where they kill you um execution you know whatever the fuck what is that what's that punishment called man Spanking, the ultimate corporal punishment, the corporal punishment. They fucking rip your soul out of your body for, you know, whatever they feel like. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't use cannabis because I'm a good person. I have morals and I have ethics and I have a strong work ethic as well. Um, however, I have pretended to use it before on many occasions. I remember the first time I pretended to use it, um, I, 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 you know, I think it was like yesterday afternoon. I pretended that I was 17 years old and I pretended that I went to a, uh, a friend's older brother's house with my friend. Um, because it was a special day in, in this imaginary scenario. Uh, you know, I was, I'm just sitting around sober, sober as a judge, um, because all judges are sober, right? Uh, sitting around sober as a judge yesterday afternoon, just imagining, you know, I'm seven, uh, I'm 17, I'm in an imaginary town, 
hanging out with an imaginary good friend and I, I I told this imaginary good friend that I'm interested in trying out um, cannabis. I've been hearing about it for a long time and you know I'm, I'm, I, I imagine I'm, I'm pretending that I'm really not interested in drinking or alcohol or smoking cigarettes or trying any other kind of drugs but I do pretend to be somewhat interested in uh, cannabis just because um, Something about it spoke to me for some reason, um, and I, I never really grew up around it per se. It was, um, you know, I grew up in a good uh, household, good upbringing, solid, and um, well, in in this imaginary scenario, me and my pretend friend go to my pretend friend's older brother's house, and the pretend older brother is there with his pretend wife. And I pretend to say, um, I, I would like to uh, try some cannabis this evening. And the pretend older brother is like, I'm glad you guys came here. This is a pretend safe space for you to pretend uh, to try cannabis for the first time. Um, my pretend friend had had it before. Uh, so... Um, it, this is a, a pretend special day in, in this imaginary scenario, of course. I must remind you, this is all imaginary because um, uh, cannabis is illegal and it's illegal to use in the state of Texas. And I would never, ever, ever break the law because I'm a good person. So um, my pretend friend and pretend older brother say we will pretend to... Um, procure a, uh, what is called in this imaginary scenario, a, a dime bag for you. Uh, and we will even front our pretend money. They were using a monopoly money because, you know, it's a, this is a, an imaginary tale, so I can make any kind of element happen. Uh, and again, people, this shows all purely for entertainment purposes, just so you know. Um, this is purely to entertain you and to entertain myself while I sit in my apartment alone yet again, uh, talking to, uh, inanimate objects. Um, if these inanimate objects are imbued with some kind of consciousness or personality of which I am unaware, I apologize to all of you. I did not mean to objectify you. Um, I think you are uh, meaningful, you provide um, usefulness, you provide joy, and uh, you're just beautiful to look at. And you smell good, too. Um, supposedly inanimate objects. Well, back to this pretend story. Um, the pretend older brother calls up a, uh, a, a pretend friend of his, and the pretend older brother tells pretend me and my pretend good friend that um, his pretend buddy will be coming by with the, the dime bag, which cost 10 Monopoly dollars. Um, and he will drop it off here. And, uh, and then we will figure out, then we can pretend um, to use this, this uh, plant, um, which was picked growing wild from the, the river, the Kwakapuki River. Um, in, in, that's the name of the river that runs through this pretend town in this uh, hypothetical um, imaginary scenario. Well, about 30 pretend minutes pass by, and a pretend police car pulls into the driveway of my pretend good friend's pretend older brother's house. A police car pulls up, and in this imaginary 
scenario, um, I, I pretend to get a little bit nervous because uh, pretend me understands that uh, he is breaking some pretend laws here um, to sate his pretend curiosity. Of course, me, I am not interested in that sort of thing. Um, I vote my conscience. I vote America. So the pretend cop car comes up and the pretend older brother walks out to talk to the cop car and goes to the driver's seat of said cop car in this pretend scenario. And meanwhile, pretend me and my pretend good friend are up at the front window, peering through the blinds of the window, watching uh, the older brother talk to the uh, the per the person wearing a police uniform in a police car. Oh, and there's a, another plainclothes person riding in the passenger seat next to the person in the police uniform in this police car in this pretend scenario. And the pretend older brother of my pretend good friend hands one of the two uh, pretend people in this pretend cop car, a $10 bill, and uh, grabs something back and then walks back to the pretend house um, with a pretend dime bag in his hand. Uh, and, and then the pretend cop car drives away. So and it, it's pretty wild where my imagination will take me. You know, it's flights of fancy, man. The mind is really a beautiful thing. Imagination is a beautiful thing. I think it keeps your mind active. It keeps you fresh, uh, keeps Alzheimer's at bay. And I have no evidence to uh, substantiate that claim, but I'm saying it anyway. Uh, again, this is purely entertainment material, folks. None of this, none of what you're listening to, witnessing, or uh, sensing at this moment is real. This is all for entertainment's value um, because we are uh, experiencing a, a very lifelike simulation. I actually have a good friend of mine, a real good friend of mine back in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'm not sure if he still lives there, but I assume he does. I'd say, you know, I'd run into him at the bar and say, hey, how's life? And he'd say, lifelike. Bada boom. There you go. So, yeah. In, in my in my imagination from yesterday afternoon, uh, you know, if, if I were to try cannabis for the first time when I was, a, you know, 17-year-old, which would be a really bad idea because your frontal lobe isn't even really finished growing until around 25 probably a little bit later i feel like i'm a bit of a late bloomer maybe my frontal lobe didn't really start um finishing its coalescence is that the correct word coalescence it wasn't really formed until about uh yesterday afternoon when i was imagining this scenario uh but it's it's really wild you know just i was just improvising all this stuff and I, who, who would have thought you know uh, a, a kid would be uh you know, given, uh, you know, have weed, be, be, be smoking weed for the first time, uh, weed that was procured by a, a police officer in uniform in a, in a police car. Uh, that would be pretty fucking wild, wild, wouldn't it? Um, fortunately, this was not real because that's all illegal stuff and that's nothing I support. 
I don't support any of that stuff. I support Hemis. I support Dooleys. I support Bald Eagles. And I support the hawk screech that Bald Eagles make. Um, so yeah, first bag of imaginary weed procured by an imaginary <laughs> police officer, and then, you know, my imagination, and just let it go. You know, who knows what's going to happen next? Maybe, maybe the, uh, the older, the pretend older brother will use a, what, like a 12-ounce, um, bottle, a, a, an empty 12-ounce bottle of, like, some Dr. P, uh, empty it out, wash it out with water, maybe, uh, you know, use a knife to cut a little slit in the side and stick a couple straws in there and seal it up with some, some chewing gum and duct tape and then, <laughs> you know, what next? Maybe use some aluminum foil to put in the mouth hole and fashion a little bowl and use a toothpick to make little holes in it and then fashion a sort of a a, a, a makeshift uh what do the kids call it a bong out of a out of an empty soda bottle <laughs> that's ridiculous no one would ever do that that's just stupid come on seriously um again i'm a professional um i i have a a graduate degree i'm a professional person i have ethics i have strong work ethic and i have strong morals and i'm also drinking water out of a mug that says the word coffee on it um so uh that's all good and well right now i am going to take a little break and uh, i'll be right back with another story for you okay Bye. <laughs> All right, let's try this out. I was toying with this yesterday. Let's see if I've still got it. it off. I can rest easy now. <clears throat> uh, I would like to reiterate, just as I did um, not do at the beginning of this, this episode, uh, that this show is um, rated explicit. It's for um, children 18 years old and older. Um, potheads not allowed. Hippies, get off my lawn and cut your hair. Beatniks need not apply. Okay? Cool, daddy-o. Cool, man. Cool. Okay. Okay, James. Quit trying to be Mark Marin. Don't be Mark Marin. I, I used to really hate Mark Marin because I didn't listen to his podcast yet, and I, I just saw a bit of the, the, his show, Marin, and I was like, this guy's fucking annoying. And, um, but now I get it because I, I, I started listening to his show and he's creating, uh, sort of a, um, golem. He's creating a golem of the worst aspects of himself, which is great. You know, that's like what Larry David did in, in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and that's what I do in my personal life. I, I become, 
um, a golem of my own worst personal traits, and I force those traits upon everyone I deal with. Actually, that is a lie. I, I try to be the best me that I possibly can. Um, and that me, that best me may not always be sweet. Um, but my intentions are pure. And I mean well. I, I, I am a seeker and warrior of truth beauty, love, peace, and understanding. So let's just say that. Let's just say that I was doing my best to exhibit these things last night when I ran into somebody who really was a golem of himself. Someone who really was putting forward his worst attributes. Granted, I just met this guy for the first time last night. And, uh, Jesus Christ, this guy was a fucking handful. He, um, okay, so I, I got invited by uh, a friend of mine to meet up with uh, some other people that I hadn't met um, before uh, out on um, 6th Street downtown, 36th. And we were going to see a um, well-renowned reggae artist play around, I don't know, 11 or midnight. The opening band started at like 11. Um, the main guy came in around midnight, maybe. Maybe the opener started a little bit after 11. Well, um, we, we, we're not at this, this venue. Um, we're not at the reggae venue just yet. We're at a, um, a bar right next door to the venue on Dirty Sixth, uh, to start out just to sort of pregame and relax and just kind of chill, just hang out and chat before the show starts. Um, so I, I meet up with a good friend, my, my good friend, and uh, I meet four other people um, that are all, we all work together in this sort of collective. Um, we help each other find work, uh, so to speak. Um, and well one of us does help the others find work and then the others you know we do what we can we show up to things like you know maybe auditions or something like that but you know we're a collective of, of people you know we've got a we're friends we've got a, there's you know there's paperwork but we're also friends um now there's one guy that i knew he's the one that invited me and he had an extra ticket for the show so he invited me and i said sure Hell yeah, I need an excuse because I have been a hermit for like uh, a, over a year now and it's really getting to me. Um, so I'm making strides to get out and live in the world some more because somehow uh, circumstances and habit aligned itself in, in such a way that I kind of became a hermit and um, tend to get a little bit nervous going out when it used to be, you know, even just a handful of years ago. Um, I'd have no problem going out, taking the bus, no fucking problem. But now it's uh, it, it takes a bit of effort, but uh, it's not permanent. It's just that I, I kind of fell out of familiarity with taking the bus. So I, I took the bus into town because I, I knew I was going to have some alcohol. And I didn't have much. I didn't want to spend a lot of money. I just had one uh, rum and coke at the venue. So before that, I was just drinking water and hanging out with these people. And, and, and I took the bus into downtown. 
and it has been a while since I have taken the bus, and it's a dollar twenty-five for a one-way trip. I've got my coins picked out. I've actually got a dollar and fifty cents picked out in quarters, um, just in case uh, my research was uh, incorrect. Um, so I, I get to the bus and, uh, the bus drivers, this lady and man, she was kind of salty with me. Just, uh, very much, um, she didn't want, she didn't want to fucking answer my question. Hi, how are you today? Just, is this a one way trip? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, I didn't say, yeah, sure. I said, yes, ma'am. And I put the coins into the thing and it's a dollar 25. You know, I, I, I look at the little coin box thing, like the ticket dispenser, and it says dollar 25 for one trip. So I put in a dollar 25 in quarters. And, and I, I, I wait for a second because I forget if a ticket will spit out because this is just a one way trip. Um, and, and the lady asks, is this one-way trip? And I say, yeah she, yeah, she pushes a button. I put the coins in, and then I hesitate. And I, I kind of look up at her, and I give her a thumbs up, and I look like, and I say, well, are we all good? And she said, one-way trip is $1.25. And I said, okay. Now, I had already paid the $1.25. It's just that I forgot, because it's been a few years since I've taken the bus. I, I forgot if I was going to get a... a um, you know, a little pass, a little printout ticket with a little magnet strip on it um, for a one-way trip. And you don't. You, you don't get one of those things for a one-way trip because you're not going to be getting back on the bus. You're not going to be using that thing. There's no reason you would need that ticket with a magnetic strip on it. So, uh, but I, I forgot about that. So I hesitated and I looked at the thing and she looked at me and she's like, you know, she said $1.25. And I said, okay. But I, I didn't say... Oh, thank you, because, you know, I had already paid the $1.25. I knew the price lady, but she looked at me, and she, she she said with her eyes, I don't have time for your Mickey Mouse bullshit. She said this to me. I don't have time, with her eyes, I don't have time for your Mickey Mouse bullshit. You're a newbie. You've never done this before. You're just some scared white kid. Look at you. You're trembling. You don't know where the hell you're going. You don't know what the hell you're doing. And while all of that might be true... I know what the fuck's going on with the bus. I just kind of forgot this little bit. And now, you know, I, I've left that woman. Um, and I guarantee she's probably thinking about me. She probably woke up this morning. The first thought in her head was like, man, that guy was a fucking chump. He doesn't know how to take a city bus. What is this country bumpkin doing here? Get out of the city. Learn how to deal. Rich kid. Why don't you just drive, rich boy? Come on. You don't need to take the bus. Leave some room for someone who really needs the bus. White privilege. Rich boy problems. Yeah. Um, so I, I left a bad impression. And I did lose sleep over it. I can't believe I let that woman... Led that woman to believe... Inadvertently led that woman to believe that... I'm a fucking noob when it comes to public transportation. Because I'm not. It's just... I kind of fell out of practice is all. It's like, you know, when you can't perform and someone says, really? And you're like, I mean, I've, it, it, this doesn't always happen. This is, you know, I, I've had like a full bottle of whiskey. This is the reason why I'm unable to perform right now. And then the, you know, the, the partner for the night might say, well, you're, you're a fucking loser and uh, you're, you're not a real man. 
and I want you to leave here feeling entirely emasculated. That's kind of what it felt like to take that bus. It felt like um, felt like I couldn't perform, and I disappointed her, I disappointed myself, and I disappointed um, my legacy and my ancestors. So family, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was unable to perform on the bus. Um, I think it was probably a lingering effect of pretending uh, uh, to imagine a pretend scenario that definitely never happened. Um, anyway, so I, I get the bus, I go to the bar next to the venue, and I meet with my friend, and he introduces me, introduces me to four other people that uh, have just joined our little collective of, of artists and business people, and, um, I meet these four people, and I sit down, and there's this one guy whose name I can't remember, but I think it starts with the C, so I'm just going to call him Big C, or just C for for whatever, or Bearded C, maybe, because he had a beard. Um, he was your average white guy. He was average height, uh, average weight, healthy weight. Uh, he had a beer, beard. He, he had beers, too. But he didn't drink a whole lot, and, and and I wonder if alcohol had anything to do with uh, the way that his behavior progressed throughout the evening. Um, but I, I may get to that here in a bit. But, you know, he was just your average-looking white guy. Big bushy beard, looked like every other fucking white guy in this town. Um, Unlike me, uh, I'm a special, unique, beautiful snowflake. Uh, I am my own sex. I am my own gender. Um, I am wonderkin. Uh, I am a star child. Um, I love myself. I love you. You're good. I'm good. We're all good. Let's have peace. World peace. Kiss, kiss. Love, love. What the fuck am I even talking about, man? I'm talking about the fact that this guy couldn't think this way. The guy that I sit next, sat next to at this table, Big C. I met him, and and Big C said that he was originally from Austin, and he's living here again now. He's been here for I don't know how long. I don't know how long, uh, but he said that he lived in New York for like ten years, working for some television station uh, that played music on it and had videos that played with that music. Um, I don't remember the name of this particular channel. Apparently it was some really big thing, something about um, music and videos and television. And I'm not really sure what his role was in this company. Uh, he didn't really specify, but he did specify that he sort of, kind of, in a, uh, you know, uh, four degrees removed way kind of helped Gary Clark Jr. be discovered by this channel or, or appear on this channel or something. And uh, and then this guy, Big C, said that he knew Gary Clark Jr. In, in case you don't know, Gary Clark Jr. is um, he, he's really blowing up right now. He's a musician uh, from Austin, Texas. He's a guitarist, singer, songwriter, really good guitarist. He definitely comes from the... Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan school, um, although from what I've heard, he he throws in a little bit more uh, Hendrix soul in it than uh, Vaughn did. I can't really, I've never really gotten into Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's not dirty enough for me. 
I understand that he learned guitar from Eric Clapton, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And similar kind of story with Eric Clapton. Like, Cream, I, I love Cream. But Clapton, like Derek and the Dominoes and stuff, I have a hard time getting into it. He's um, a phenomenal guitarist. His technique is amazing. Um, he can communicate and articulate with the instrument in beautiful, amazing ways. However, it's very white. It's very white and very clean cut sounds. Um, and I'm thinking right now, is the camera rolling? Let me check. Let me check the camera's rolling. Psyching myself out. Oh, it is. Goody. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be right there, right there. I'm gonna be right there. Okay. Everything's gravy, baby. So, um, Gary Clark Jr., uh, I don't know if I could say he's up and coming. Yeah, sure, he's still up and coming. I don't think he's as large as he's going to get. I think he's going to get even larger. Uh, but he's really blowing up um, this year and over latter half of last year. He's really blowing up. I think he even appeared on SNL mm, sometime over the past 12 months, maybe. Uh, well, this dude, Big C, said he went to school with... Um, Gary Clark Jr. and uh, but he, I think he was a little bit older than than uh, Gary Clark Jr. GCJ Big C was a little bit older than GCJ Juicy J. No, let's just keep it with GCJ. We don't want to get too uh, convoluted with the Juicy and the GC. Okay. So, basically, he says that he knew the guy, and the guy knew him, and then uh, Gary was supposed to come to something in New York, and this, the big C was telling me this story, and he was one of those people that just wouldn't shut the fuck up. Uh, I'm one to speak, but the thing is, I'm, I'm having a one-way conversation with inanimate objects that may be imbued with uh, some type of consciousness that I, I am not aware of, however... I think it's okay that I'm fucking rambling on right now, but if I were talking to somebody, you know, I, I'd listen. I would listen, you know? I wouldn't be rambling quite as much as I am here, but like I said, I'm alone talking to you. Um, people who are probably not listening. <laughs> and if you are listening, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And also, thank you to my one Patreon subscriber, Josh. You are the man. Uh, if any other people would like to become a patron to help support this show, to help me create more and better content, um, you know, I think you probably just saw a thing. Patreon.com slash that thing with James. There we go. Just blew my little uh, plug load. And um, yeah, Big C would not shut the fuck up. He would not shut the fuck up. He was telling me this big convoluted story, which is why it's difficult for me to relay the story, because it was so convoluted. Gary Clark was supposed to meet up with him in New York, and it was his birthday, and the dude, some people got drunk, and then the guy didn't come over to the apartment, and oh man, that was my one chance, I could have made it big, and blah, 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 blah. And I just, this guy sent me in a tailspin. Uh, Big C sent me in a tailspin. I could not keep up with his story. And he was just talking, talking, talking. And I don't know if the guy was coked up. I don't really think he was coked up. Um, he, 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 the only telltale sign of like a, 
someone who's coked up is that he was just fucking talking so much. But I don't think he was coked up. I think, um, well, I'll tell you what I think when I get near the end of this story. Um, uh, well, fast forward, um, Gary Clark Jr. gets noticed by this, this television channel, and Big C feels that he is owed some kind of acknowledgement uh, for having helped Gary Clark Jr. become discovered, quote-unquote, according to Big C, become discovered. Um, and the thing is, Big C didn't really fucking have anything to do with getting Gary Clark Jr. discovered at all. He didn't have anything to do with Gary Clark Jr.'s um, musical abilities, nor his tenacity, nor his work ethic. Uh, Big C just felt that, you know, he knew that he, he went to school with this guy, kind of. He knew who he was, and um, and then he might have mentioned it to someone who might have told someone else to put Gary Clark Jr. on this channel that supposedly made him, quote-unquote, discovered. And, um, and so then Big C blasts straight into his, his screenplay, He's telling me about this screenplay. Meanwhile, I am just dying to get into a conversation with anyone else in our group because I can tell this guy's not going to shut up and nothing he's saying is interesting. And as a matter of fact, it's straight up confusing because he keeps throwing out these names and these, uh, these times and places and events as if uh, I, I were there. He's giving me no context. He's not reading the fucking audience, the audience of me, the audience of one, a stranger. I don't know what you fucking know. I wasn't there to watch it. I don't know the history. I don't know the context. And you're talking to me as if I know uh, some of the history behind this fucking story that you're telling me, Big C. I don't. I don't know. So your 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 meaningful your your story that is meaningful to you is falling upon confused ears that wish they were deaf well big c starts telling me about this screenplay that he's been working on and he doesn't say it but i deduce throughout the conversation that this is the first time uh big c has ever written a screenplay and also actually it is the zero time that he has written the screenplay because he has written zero of the fucking screenplay all he does is show all he's created is a sort of uh an outline on his phone he used some kind of like program to create a, a circle i guess following maybe the hero's journey or something but i don't even think that i think it was just an organization uh, of, of structure, of tried and true, uh, tired old film story structures, act one, two, three, and even broke down like where the audience is supposed to laugh, like where the big jokes are, like, uh, fucking, you can't fucking create a formula. You can't fucking create a form. You can, you can create a formula. Okay. You can create a formula. Sure. You can create an outline. However, I could tell that he hadn't written anything yet. And I don't think he was very familiar with writing because all the shit he was giving me was, uh, well, let's break it down. This screenplay is basically a, um, 
a uh, rehash, a retelling of how he feels about Gary Clark Jr. Um, so in, in the screenplay, I'm not going to say out the names because I wouldn't want anyone to say the names of me. I, I'm going to try to keep the details to a minimum. Um, again, I don't, no one really listens to this. If you do, you know, we're part of like a secret fucking thing. You know, we're like a cult, yo. But not like a creepy cult. We're like, you know, like people who were fans of uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Sort of like a cult hit. Like we're a cool indie underground thing here. You and me, if you're listening and or watching this, you're in the cool club. Because, you know, we're in limited numbers right now. We've got our inside jokes, you know. We've got our rapport. We're the fucking cool kids. We, we don't even have to try. We, we, we were the nerds. We were the outcasts, the freaks, the weirdos. People didn't get us. We went off and we said, you know, there's nothing to get. There's only being here. Being here now, man. We're just existing. We're just getting along. We're making our own little group. What is the group? It's the group of that thing. That's us. You and me. Right now. Check it out. This guy tells me this story. Based on his story. That he didn't get proper recognition for not getting Carrie Clark Jr. fucking discovered and fucking famous and probably fucking rich. So he's making a screenplay, or developing one rather, a screenplay about uh, a, a musician who becomes famous because he was inspired by... Uh, a a like a sort of friend of his who was an author and wrote like four or five books and this musician is basing uh, his lyrics and the concept of the albums and everything off of these books that his sort of friend wrote already um, and uh, the musician blows up and gets famous meanwhile the author is just you know no one really knows about him He's just kind of underground, uh, hasn't really been discovered, hasn't blown up, doesn't have a lot of money. No one really knows who the fuck he is, but everyone knows who the musician is. And the musician, more or less, uh, pretends like he doesn't fucking know the author, who was his friend in the past. Um, and then when he blew up, all of a sudden, he just doesn't really have any time and doesn't really think he really knows the author. And yeah, this stuff happens in real life, but you know that's the premise of this book. Well, essentially, uh, uh, fucking see if I can understand this because it was so convoluted. This guy did not have. A, see, I, I would give you, I would give you the the ten second breakdown of this fucking story, but the guy didn't have a ten second breakdown, and I kept asking him for one, but he wouldn't fucking reciprocate. He wouldn't even fucking listen. He was just in send mode, and he asked me if I wanted to hear about the script. I was like, sure. I was expecting a pitch, just an elevator pitch, just 10 seconds. What the fuck is about? What the fuck it's about? What are the characters? What's going on? Okay, cool. He didn't do that. What he did was launch into uh, a fucking scene-by-scene -scene breakdown of everything he's thinking of for the script. But at the same time, there's no fucking story. And like he was telling me that all this he spent like fucking 15 minutes trying to describe the history between this guy and all this stuff and then the guy one of the characters dies and then the other one's like oh maybe now I can like 
you know, work things to become famous somehow by exploiting somebody who I felt exploited me, speaking as the author. Um, and uh, he, he told me all this shit, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to keep up, trying to keep up, trying to keep up. And then he says, and that's where the movie starts. That's the opening scene. And I was like, wait, wait. So all that stuff happens? And he's like, no, 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 This That one thing that I just told you about, like that one little uh, exchange, that's where it all starts. And then everything else plays out throughout this way. And then he's, he keeps saying, like, I, it's a comedy. I wanted to write a comedy, but it's not really a comedy. It's more of like a dramedy. You know, it's a comedy, but it's got heart. Like, what are some other movies? Tell me some other movies that are dramedies. What are some other dramedies? And he, like, wanted me to tell him what the fucking dramedies are. And I was like, um, there's, like, a million fucking dramedies. I know what a dramedy is. I've seen them. I've heard them. I watch dramedies, if they're good. Okay? And, uh... Yeah, so he 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 launches into this fucking one scene and and he says he he tells me about the scene and it doesn't make any fucking sense and he's throwing in all, all these other characters, more characters. Character 1, character 2, character 3, premise 1, 2, 3, 4. And then maybe I can do this and maybe I can do that. And then I've got this joke that happens here. Oh, 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 and then this happens and then this happens and then so and so talks to another person and they find out and then there's a miscommunication and see that's where the joke is and here look at the fucking here's where it is on the fucking uh diagram that I wrote out and here's where the joke's going to be and you know, I'm going to have this actor and this actor and I'm already talking to CAA and UTA which are the big big uh fucking talent agencies in Los Angeles and you know I've got these people and I've got them on my wish list I'm probably not going to get them but maybe I could that's what you know couldn't hurt but but ask I'm, I'm basing these characters off of those actors but I could totally see these other actors who are absolutely nothing nothing at all like the other actors I imagine putting in and he tells me these actors names and I'm like you there's no fucking way there's no fucking way you're going to get anyone anywhere close to that shit and, and, and he's talking like he fucking knows all these people. And I can tell he doesn't fucking know all these people. And then just watch watch the fucking humiliation I experience when I find out that this guy actually does know people. But the thing is, I don't really fucking care if he knows people because this guy was a shithead. I'll get to it. I'm getting to it, man. So he gets to this one scene and... He, he tells me this, this happens, oh, and then he, you know, flash forward to this other scene, and then he sees, oh, what I should have done is this. This guy, Big C, is throwing in every fucking trope. He's throwing in so many different devices, and so many different tropes, uh, and all of them are fucking run into the ground. He is making, he was, what he was telling me was essentially that he's making the most fucking formulaic bullshit Hollywood comedy that died in the, you know, got big in the 90s and pretty much died uh, after the early 2000s. And they still try to make these really formulaic things. And they still do have formulaic stuff. But I'm talking like hyper formulaic. Like, you know, when fucking actors were getting deals, like they'd pick up Jim Carrey and say, hey, you're great. We'll give you these million dollars. And it, they call them development deals. Like you see, you discover somebody and you say, all right, I'm going to develop you. I'm going to make you famous. Um, and I'm going to get you in all these movies, and they're all going to be big blockbuster hits. That's what people were doing in the 90s and a little bit in the early 2000s. Um, 
uh, production companies don't do that anymore. Okay, because it's no one wa- because it makes it, it makes a bunch of bullshit. It's just a bunch of consumerist, empty, vapid, fucking bullshit with zero art- artistic integrity. And what this guy was telling me, he was feeding me all this stuff that was zero fucking artistic integrity, and just so trite. It was so fucking. Ugh, I, I, it made me want to vomit. And so basically, this guy kept saying, like, help me with this one scene. Okay, this the main character is facing this one dilemma, and he thinks he wants to do this, and I've got it written out, but what would you do? Like, what would you do in this? And I was like, uh, well, I would do this. You know, the guy's faced with the dilemma where he could tell the truth or not. And I would say, well, um, maybe just tell the truth. And also another thing with these exchanges between the characters that Big C was telling me about is like, none of them were fucking real. They, they, this guy has not spent time watching how people talk. He's clearly spent more time talking than listening. And if you're going to be a fucking writer, you have to listen more than talk. You have to listen and you have to watch. That is the only way. That is the first thing you have to do as a writer is get out of the fucking way. Take your fucking ego out of it. Watch and observe and learn and understand the nature of how people interact, how they behave, their wants and needs, how they go about getting those things, why they want those things. Same for breaking down a character as an actor. What does the character want? Why do they want it? Why now? And what do they have to lose if they don't get it? And how are they going to go about getting it? That's essentially all you need to do to figure out a scene. Um, that, and get your ego out of the way and just do it. You know, do the research and then forget everything. It, it, that's That's another thing. Well... Big C keeps pushing me. He wants me to help him kind of flesh out a workshop this one scene of like what the main what this main character could do uh, differently, different options, exploring uh, you know different role play. And he wanted to role play the scene with me, and I did it a few times. And then I wanted to talk to the uh, the two ladies that were sitting next to me. I generally kind of get along better with women. I always have. I've always gotten along better with women. I've often had more female friends than male friends, and I just kind of naturally get along with women better um, because of instances like the one with this guy, Big C. Um, guys who are really fucking insecure, really fucking insecure, and then to to compensate and to cover for that insecurity, uh, they will act really competitive combative and just aggressive and this guy was being fucking aggressive he was being fucking aggressive he kept um he was uh pushing this fucking this fucking whole thing on me this whole script without my consent i did not consent to being fucking assaulted by his insistence tell me what to do what would you do what would you do and i threw out some things and and, you know i was turning away i was giving him every fucking sign that i could to say i'm not interested i don't want to have this conversation with you i wish this conversation were done i was turning away i was looking away trying to engage other people in conversation and he kept he was just turned at me just talking blah 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 high energy high energy and yet somehow i don't 
he wasn't coked up. He, he was just fucking on full blast, full neurotic energy, uh, word vomit. And, you know, I, I threw out a couple things. I said, well, he could do this. And then the guy would elaborate and then come in with all this other stuff. And I'm in, and eventually I started saying, like, this is too much. It's too much. I don't know what you're telling me right now. I'm confused. Break it down for me. Make it simple. Break everything down. I don't know who the fuck these characters are. I don't know why the fuck they want this stuff. Break it down. And then he would break it down a little bit and still manage to convolute it more. And I'd say, break it down. You need to simplify this because I don't understand it. And if you're trying to make a good screenplay, that's going to be a fucking problem. Because you're telling me a stranger, and if, if, if you're not able to put it simply, if you're not able to state it in really simple terms, then you don't understand it either. So he didn't fucking understand what he was trying to do. Because he wasn't able to explain any of it in a simple manner. And I wish I was able to explain this whole fucking thing in a simple manner, but it, it was so complicated, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, I hope I haven't lost you. It was a whirlwind. I just experienced a whirlwind. Maybe you just experienced a whirlwind, and I experienced a whirlwind with him. I wish, um, you know, I, I, I told him some things to do, and I told him, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And then he would tell me about another scene down the line that he was thinking of and another joke that he was thinking of and then saying, see, that's why it's funny. And just assuming that it was funny and assuming that what he had was good. And I could tell, again, all he had done was created a sort of outline based on a really trite formula. I hope I'm using the right word with trite. Um, and uh, it really formulaic big big star big hit blockbuster zero artistic integrity zero fucking voice zero fucking perspective and what he really wanted to talk about was how he feels like he's been fucking cheated out of life that's the real story behind what he was trying to tell me here is that he feels like life owes him something he feels like life has let him down he feels like other people in life have let him down and whether that's true or not i don't know I think maybe someone else let him down because he was most definitely really fucking insecure and really fucking neurotic, which he displayed with his assholeness. He fucking hollered. He At one point, he realized that he was out of a beer and there was a waiter like 15 feet away taking someone else's order at another table and then walking out and the guy was just yelling like, Hey! Hey, waiter! Hey, waiter! Sorry if I blasted your speakers with that. Just yelling at this person like, Beer! Beer! Hey, beer! And I just fucking looked at him and he, he did not give a fuck. He thought he was being funny. And then, you know, I'd start converse, conversation with the, the ladies sitting next to me and uh, and the guy would just insert himself into our conversation to crack some really shitty fucking joke. Uh, some really bad, you know, shitty uh, body kind of joke you'd hear from an open micer. Ironically enough, I'll get to that. Get into some things here. I'm going places. I'm building up. 
I'm getting there. Well, this will all come together. Trust me, baby. Trust me, baby. The way I tell stories is kind of like life. Things, they just seem kind of random. And then near the end, it's like, oh, all these pieces actually fit together. Wow. James is a fantastic storyteller. I want to help support his show by going to patreon.com slash that thing with James. He's even got like a $2 tier. You can just donate like $2 and you'll get like maybe like $1.25 out of it. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> the guy is yelling at the fucking, at the fucking, the, the server. And eventually the server comes back and the guy is just like, um, she says, what do you want to drink? And he says, I want something blonde but blonde and hoppy but smooth do you have anything blonde and hoppy but smooth what's like what's a beer what's a beer that's blonde and hoppy but smooth do you have any kind of beers like that i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know what kind of beers like that do you have that kind of beer tell me tell me do you have that kind of beer and the the server lady is just like uh we have a fireman's four and the guy's like okay yeah sure yeah is that a is that like what I'm talking about? Is that what I'm talking about? And she's like, I'll get you a fireman's four. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Give me that. Give me fireman's four. All right. And then she walks off. Um, I don't know if I did a good job here of uh, really expressing the vibe that he was giving off, but he, he was treating the wait staff like shit. His vibe was bad, man. He was treating the wait staff with disrespect, I feel. And then later on, um, we go to this show and the show starts the reggae show and, uh, the guy says, oh, I'm doing, uh, open mics now. I've been doing open mic. He tells some other really shitty joke thinking he's funny and being totally fucking needy. And, uh, he's like, you know, I'm always looking for a joke. I'm doing stand up now. I've done, I've done open mics five times now. So, you know, I'm always looking for a joke. You know, I've tried to make anything a joke. Try to remember it. <laughs> you know, right, right, right. You think I'm funny? Tell me, like, what do you think? Like, give me a joke, man. Like, dude, you're so fucking needy right now. Get away from me. Get away from me. I'm not in the mood to deal with your needy ass right now. Anyway. Uh, me and one of the ladies go out between bands, the opener ends, we're waiting for the, you know, the headliner to come on, and we're hanging out in the back of this place, plays reggae, and they're cooking like jerk chicken, and me and the lady were talking about, oh, this delicious jerk chicken stuff, um, and then Big C comes out and inserts himself into our conversation, we were starting to talk about, like, where are you from, what was it like where you grew up, yada yada, Bixie comes in and just totally hijacks the fucking conversation, starts talking to her, butts me out, and just starts cracking some not funny jokes uh, that are also gross and also very asshole-ish. And, uh, well, one of the, um, this really gorgeous young lady comes out uh, from head to toe, dressed really cool, uh, one of the people cooking the jerk chicken out back. Uh, jerk chicken and curry, I think they were making some, like, curry, I don't know, shrimp or something. Well, me and the lady friend who I just met that night, um, who, who was sitting in, in this group of people, uh, that I was involved with last night, um, 
we both stop and we look at this woman who's been helping cook the jerk chicken and we're just like both stunned. She's got great curly hair and just the coolest style. I, I, I don't remember all of it, but she, it was a lot going on and it all worked. It all came together really well. Uh, a lot of like different Rasta stuff, different kind of, you know, like um, kind of stoner art t-shirts kind of stuff and head to toe. Just really cool looking gal, really cool style totally hers you could tell and uh i just stopped her and i was like excuse me miss but you are stunning you look so cool like head to toe everything you've got going on right now works so well you look so cool and then the the lady friend who i was chatting with before big c came and interrupted us she turns and says to the jerk chicken cook lady like you are gorgeous look at your hair it's so cool and the lady just stops and she's like, thanks, guys. Like, yeah, I, I you know, I've got funky style. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then Big C turns and says, oh, well, you don't fucking hate the Jews. Well, clearly the woman that was cooking the jerk chicken, she did look like she could have been Ashkenazi Jew. She looked pretty much like 100% Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, so there's that. And, 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 and he just... You could tell he's trying to crack a joke, but the thing is, he's an asshole. And he's one of those people whose jokes are just bullying. Where it's just like, what? What? Don't be a pussy. It's just a joke. Come on. Fucking, it's just a joke. You, you, don't, you don't have any fucking sense of humor? Come on. I'm getting fucking me too'd by your fucking fussiness, pussy. Come on. It's just a joke. Big C was that kind of guy. And I just didn't say anything. Like the lady, the jerk chicken, she was just having the time of her life. Maybe we just brightened her day up saying how gorgeous she was, how cool her style was. And then Big C just had to shit all over everything by saying, Well, you don't fucking hate the Jews. And the woman's, the the cook's face just dropped. And she was like, Well, fuck you. Thanks. And walks off. And then the lady friend who I was talking to, Turns to Big C and she's like, time and place, dude. That was not fucking funny. And Big C has the gall to say, what? What? It was just a joke. What? I directed comedy for 10 years. I, in New York City, I think I know what I'm talking about. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think there's anything to defend here. And essentially... It got really bad. So, lady friend, she was right to call the dude out. She was like, really bad timing on a really shitty joke. Like, this was not the time or place, and this was definitely not the fucking audience. And like my guest on the last week's uh, episode, um, one of the big things you need to know about stand-up comedy is know your fucking audience. Tailor to the audience, okay? And Big C did not tailor to the audience. He was completely oblivious of who the audience was, the context of the situation, the energy of the situation. He just shit all over everything with his shitty assholeness um, and then had to defend himself. And I swear to God, I guarantee you, he was thinking, 
What? What? Now I'm just another one of these comedians who can't get away with fucking saying shit. You know, all these fucking snowflakes, all these people are infringing on my freedom of speech. You know, it's just a joke. It's just stuff. You know, it's just humor. People take everything so fucking literally now. God, everyone's such a pussy now. God, blah, blah, blah. Social justice warriors. I guarantee you that's what he was thinking in his head. And, uh... I didn't want anything to do with it, man. Um, lady friend did, though. She started laying into him and then started saying, like, that's a fucking racial slur. Like, I can't believe you'd say that. And then she started going about... Um, she, she was, at first, she was right. She said, dude, bad timing, bad joke. You just fucking ruined a really good moment we were having with this person. Not cool. And um, But then it transformed into, you know... You have to respect women's bodies. You have to respect women. You can't make racist comments. Um, and while she was correct, um, there was a little bit of nuance in the situation where you're correct, but also while Big C did overstep and shit, shit his pants, um, he didn't overstep in quite the direction that you're starting to snowball your argument into lady friend. So then they both kind of started being assholes and they both handled the situation in a really bad way. What they should have said was, uh, you know, uh, bad timing, bad joke. We were having a moment and you fucking ruined it. Good job. And then big C would try to defend himself and lady friend would just be like, do what I did and say, I'm going inside now, bye. And that's it. And in retrospect, after Big C kept pushing that one fucking scene on me, tell me what to do with it. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I wish, in retrospect, I wish I could have said, I'll tell you what to do with the scene. I'll tell you what to do with the entire script. Scrap the script and listen to people. Scrap the script. Forget about it. The whole thing is trash. The whole thing is trash. Don't even start because you haven't even started writing yet. And before you even start writing, start fucking listening to people. Listen. And I wish I also could have said, scrap it. Scrap that and start working on yourself. Because you're being really aggressive, um, being an asshole, uh, being demeaning. And I noticed it was women. It was only women. Man, Lady Friend really was right. It was only women that he was being really fucking rude with. Um, and I'm not down for that. As a friend of women, um, I don't think that's cool. So, Big C, get your shit together. Get into therapy. And... Put that script away. Take what you have right now and toss it in the fucking trash and figure out what the real fucking story is. The real story is one that you're trying to tell. The real story is one that you know. The real story is one that you don't want to face right now. The real story is that you feel somehow betrayed and um, figure out the root of that story and tell that story. It doesn't necessarily have to be a nonfiction, but... Figure out your own fucking true story before you go about creating a story. Um, that's uh, that's about it. That's about all I got for now, folks. Um, 
I think it's time to get this thing uploaded since this is the 420 episode. First half was fun. I'm not sure about how the second half turned out. I'm really not sure. Just rambling about. Hmm. I hope it was good. I, I hope it was worthwhile listening. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in yet again. If this is your first time, welcome. I definitely encourage you to listen to the other episodes. Uh, tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, anyone that you know that's into this sort of thing. Dig it, you know? Um, shoot me an email at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. Send me... Uh, comments suggestions questions concerns if you have any ideas if you need some advice i want to answer your questions i want to give you advice uh so hit me up man find me on social media at james j asher and you can visit my website excuse me jamesjasher.com oh 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 and i just remembered yeah i've got a gig i've got a gig this week and i was just thinking man like i'm not gonna uh, like i hadn't had an audition in like a month or more and I was just thinking, you know, I don't think I'm going to get any kind of fucking acting work this year. And then last week, I got called for uh, an audition for a thing. I went in, I auditioned. Um, a couple days later, I got called in for a callback. Show up to the callback, do the thing, don't think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. Um, and then I get a, a, like a phone call the next day saying like, oh no, you're booked. You're booked for a couple days. So I've got work this coming week. I'm so grateful for it, man. Totally unexpected. I, I legit thought I was not getting any acting work this year. Uh, so this is a very pleasant surprise. Um, and I'm glad to get to work. Uh, some acting. I'm glad to get to meet some new people. And I'm glad to be working with some familiar faces as well. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. So, uh, until next episode, love you guys. Peace.